0: Both taking and trustworthiness from the sermon series Sermon on the Mount, spoken by Pastor Sunita Ponton. I think we can all agree that our society has come to devalue truth. I'm not sure when it happened, but over time our capacity to accept lies has increased. Whether we're on the right or the left, Christian or not, words like alternative facts or the big lie or fake news have become commonplace in our collective vocabulary. Truth seems to mean nothing to us. We are like Pilate asking Jesus, what is truth? Can you believe that there's such a thing as a lie detector test? I mean, our propensity to lie is so great that we have had to create a machine to help us detect if someone is telling the truth or not. It's so bad that people have actually figured out how to outsmart the lie detector test. So not only are you trying to be deceitful, but you are trying hard to make sure other people don't know that you are being deceitful. Our propensity to lie and our society's readiness to believe lies is so great that we need real-time fact-checkers in all of our political debates. What has our world come to? Are these signs of people who value truth and integrity? Are these signs of a culture that upholds truth? Or are these signs that untruthfulness is so rampant in our culture that we just can't keep up with it? Today, Jesus will speak to us about his expectation for us to be men and women of truth. Would you join me in reading Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37? Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. Again, you have heard it said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Last week, we took a break from our series for Easter, but this week we are back to talking about the Sermon on the Mount. We're continuing in this section known as the six antitheses contrasting how laws are practiced versus how they were actually supposed to be fulfilled. Jesus is not abolishing the law, but he's showing the proper way to fulfill it. The issue was not with the law, but with the law, but with the way the law had been interpreted and being practiced and misleadingly applied. Jesus will give the right and deeper interpretation of the law. So far we've looked at murder, adultery, divorce, and now oath-taking. Here we see Jesus tell us explicitly not to make oaths at all. Why is it such a big deal to Jesus? To swear in this sense is not about cursing, this is about rather swearing to add extra emphasis or swearing on something like, I swear on my grandfather's grave. To affirm the truth of a statement. And what you're basically saying is that God will judge you if you're telling a lie. So you ask to borrow money from someone, and you say, I promise, I swear, I will pay you back. Or, I swear on everything I own that I will pay you back. Maybe when you were a child, and you really wanted to prove that what you were saying was true, you were like me and my friends, and we said, cross my heart and hope to die. Now, if you're like me, you kind of think about that line now, and you wonder, like, what were we thinking? Why would we hope to die? But Jesus is looking at this practice and calling us to think more deeply about our words and our intentions. Jesus begins in Matthew five thirty-three by saying the following. Again, you have heard it was said to the people long ago. Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Taking an oath was a common ancient practice before Moses' time. Jesus is referring to laws given by Moses in the Pentateuch, that's the first five books of the Bible, in response to this practice. Jesus' words represent the essence of a number of laws and passages about making oaths or vows. These laws were concerned with swearing falsely and breaking an oath. Oaths were used to appeal to God to witness the truth of a statement or the binding nature of a promise. It was a call for God to act if the words were untrue, or the promise was not kept. There were laws like, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. Or do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of the Lord your God, I am the Lord. So to avoid swearing by God, people began swearing by other things, like by heaven, or by earth, or by Jerusalem, or by their own head. They didn't want to swear by God's name and either insult a holy God or risk punishment for something if they didn't fulfill the vow. Jews would use all kinds of oaths and the role of the scribes and the Pharisees were to determine how binding those oaths were. So for example, if you swore by your head, that might not be as binding as swearing by heaven. But Jesus says the point is not semantics. The point is to be truth tellers all the time. Jesus' focus is not on breaking an oath, but we swearing one to begin with. The original law was actually to deal with human failure, our inability to tell the truth. But Jesus is moving us towards truthfulness, telling the truth. Jesus goes to the root of the issue. Jesus is not so much focused on avoiding negative sin, but rather the more demanding and positive goal of discovering and following what God really wants and desires for his people. At the end of chapter five, Jesus will say, be perfect therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. So we see that for Jesus, righteousness is not based on rules, but seeking the perfection of God himself. Though it is beyond our grasp, we can get towards it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Christ's righteousness is about the kingdom of heaven. It's about kingdom living here on earth. Rules about how and when to make oaths don't apply in the kingdom of heaven. These rules are only needed when we live in a sin-filled world, but our goal is to live as citizens of heaven right now. Jesus is telling the citizens of heaven, he's talking to us now, his disciples, his children, and he says, do not swear. He says in Matthew chapter five, verses 34 through 36, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black, Jesus is reminding us of the sovereignty of God. We cannot swear by heaven or earth or Jerusalem or even ourselves because none of these things belong to us. Heaven is God's throne. The earth is his footstool. The city and all cities belong to him and our heads. Even we belong to God. We can't even swear by ourselves. The psalmist is right when he proclaims the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Everything belongs to the sovereign God. We cannot swear upon anything because nothing, not even ourselves, belongs to us. Jesus reminds us that to assume that you have the power to swear on anything is completely false. But more importantly, why do we need to swear at all? Why do we need to add emphasis to a statement we have made? We should always speak in truth. So Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, verse 37 all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Jesus is calling us to speak and walk in truth always. Again, Jesus is more concerned about our hearts. Do we have a heart to deceive or a heart to be truthful? God requires truthfulness as soon as it is necessary to strengthen a statement that you have made with words like I swear or I promise we have already decided that all the other words were meaningless to begin with we demonstrate our failure to live up to God's standard of truthfulness Jesus says any impulse to swear at all to back up what you're saying with even more words is evil because it implies lying. It says we cannot be trusted unless we add some magic words to our statements. For Christ, going beyond a simple yes or a no comes from a root of untruthfulness in our hearts. If this is true, then we are indeed liars and, and children of the father of lies, Satan, the evil one. The work of the evil one is to eradicate truth. It is to place doubt in our minds. Remember the serpent in the Garden of Eden? He places the lie before Eve and causes her to believe it. That God had told her not to touch the fruit. That he had told her that he would not die, but that she would be like God. It was all lies. And anytime we operate in truthfulness, we operate like the enemy. God expects our word to be our word, both to him and to others. He wants honesty and integrity in all our speech. So swearing is not necessary at all. Christians especially should be known for our truthfulness. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount is about creating a distinct people, a people who look different from the world around them. We are called to be salt and light. What makes the Christian distinct should be the veracity, the truthfulness of our words. The words of Christians should be so characterized by integrity that others won't need any other assurances like an oath to believe us. Our words should be the equivalent to what the world would consider the highest oath that you could possibly take. Jesus says a simple yes or no should be sufficient to affirm the truth of any statement we make. But unfortunately, this is not the case. Whether in our personal lives or in public, sadly, Christians are not that different from the world. We lie to our spouses, our families, our parents, our children, our bosses, our coworkers. We lie to the media and to the public. But words, especially the words of Christians, matter. And when we lie, we look no different from the world. Our sinful nature shows itself not only in our tendency to to deviate from the truth, but also in our tendency to suspect other people of being untruthful as well. We don't trust other people to be honest. Every time we swear an oath to verify what we say, we prove that we are untruthful and we believe others are untruthful as well. We don't expect, nor do we hold people accountable to be honest. Instead, we expect and we accept dishonesty unless it's attached to these magic words again, I swear, I promise, as God is my witness, whatever those things are. But why? Shouldn't Christians be different? I don't know about you, but I don't wake up in the morning thinking, how can the devil use me today? It is never my intention. And yet we fall into the trap of behaving more and more like the devil than like our savior. What keeps us from speaking the truth? And to be clear, I'm not talking about people who come out, you know, come wake up in the morning thinking of lies that they can, they can tell. I'm talking about people who really desire in their hearts to be men and women who speak honesty and truth. What makes it so difficult? Let's be honest. It's our sin nature. Though we are sinners saved by grace, we are still in need of continued transformation. We are saved, and yet we are still being saved, working at our salvation. And that sin nature manifests in untruthfulness in a very varied numbers of ways. Sometimes it is rooted in fear. We are afraid of hurting another person's feelings or being rejected for saying the wrong thing. For many of us, we have been raised to be polite and deferential, so any time that we we don't always speak the truth because it seems contrary to what we've been raised to do. Sometimes it's shame. Truth may leave you vulnerable to others' views and opinions about you. Sometimes it's people-pleasing. You say what you believe the other person wants to hear rather than what's actually on your heart. Sometimes it's pride. We overpromise and under-deliver because we can't admit that we're not able to fulfill the obligation. Yet Jesus calls to speak the truth and in such a way that we can stand by it, like a simple yes or no. But what do we do in a world that does not mirror the kingdom of God? How do we account for the vows and the oaths that we are bound to take in society, like when you appear in court, or maybe when you run and win a public seat in office? For example, the Quakers take these words from Christ so strictly that they never take an oath, not even in court. What they do is honorable, but I don't think Jesus is upset with those of us who have to take oaths for certain reasons. Because our world is so sinful, The state of our courts, for example, require oaths in order to establish truth and confirm promises. And when you don't, you perjure yourself and you are held accountable for it. Oaths should not be needed in a world living according to God, but this is not the case. Since the world is so full of liars, the state cannot trust a simple yes or no. The laws, therefore, serve what would be considered a remedial purpose in a world where kingdom ethics are not always fulfilled. This shows the lack of importance of truth in this world generally. But for us as Christians, we should be able to take those oaths if we have to, knowing that whether we take the oath or not, we will always bring forth the truth. We're not bound by human oaths, but something much greater. We are bound by Christ. We are to be people of truth, just as our Lord is the truth. So how can we fulfill this? How can we be faithful with our words? First, we are faithful with our words when we are intentional in our speech. We are faithful with our words when we are intentional with our speech. Have you heard the phrase, say what you mean and mean what you say? It's a reminder to be intentional with our words. Sometimes I think we discount the importance of words. We hear so many words in the day from so many sources that they kind of run over us after a while. The danger of that is that we don't take one another seriously. But words do matter. When someone says, I love you, it matters. When someone says, I hate you, believe me, it matters. The worst thing I ever said to my mother was, I hate you. I was a preteen and I was moody and I was mad about something. I don't even remember what it was. What I do remember is that my mother didn't yell back at me. She didn't spank me. She didn't even punish me. She just sat in a chair and cried. Now, I, of course, I apologized afterwards but it was really too late because the damage was already done. And I wish I could go back in time and undo that entire conversation. The Bible tells us that life and death are in the power of the tongue. We can lift people up and give life, or we can shove people down and produce death with our words. That's how much words matter. Do you realize that God didn't bring the world into existence by his power and might? He did it with his words. Jesus is our living word. Our words are important. The words we use when speaking to others is important. They require intentionality. A few weeks ago, you saw the video of our pen pal ministry here at Metro with our brothers at East Jersey State Prison. And we've had a training a few weeks back to further give insight and help train our pen pals. And one of the points emphasized from Nelson, one of the leaders in our ministry, was how much words mean to our brothers in our letters. Nelson reminded us that for many men who have few people in their lives, that each word that we present to them is, can be life-giving or it can be damaging. We might call ourselves friends so easily and casually in the world, but to our brothers, who often miss those relationships, friendship is serious and it speaks to the depth of the relationship. But in our our Facebook and Instagram world, where we can be friends with 4,000 people, friends doesn't mean anything to us. Friendship means nothing to us. We've reduced words to nothing in our common speech. And only later, in retrospect, do we we realize how important those words really are. We tell our kids, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. That's not true. That's a lie. Words like kung flu or China virus or the N-word can fan the flames of hatred and, as we can see, lead to violence. Words like you're stupid or you're a disappointment can pierce the heart in ways that a hit never could. How many of us are trying to undo the words that someone spoke over us? Maybe a parent or a friend or a boss. We're trying to make sense of them because as much as we would like to act as if words don't matter, they're actually very powerful and important. What words do you speak to others? And are those words filled with the truth? Can people trust the sentiment behind the words that you speak? When we are intentional with our words, we are more likely to speak the truth and to speak it in love. And if we hold truth sacred, we won't speak hastily. Think about what you want to say before you say it. Better yet, pray about what you want to say before you say it. Particularly if you need courage or confidence to speak, pray for that as well. It's okay to, to stop and to, and to think and to process and to, and to really know what you want to say. How many times have you said something out of emotion that you later regretted? What difference would taking the time to think about what you say before you say make in the world? When we are intentional with our words, we honor God and the person that we're speaking with. We honor God by speaking the truth, living as his disciple. And we honor the person we're speaking with because we demonstrate that we have love and respect for that person. Now, I know there are probably some smart people out there who are thinking, "Well, what about people who plan and plot their lies?" This is why Jesus' emphasis on our hearts being bent towards truth-telling is so important. A person whose heart is true to God and whose heart is grounded in truthfulness makes every attempt for every statement for it to be truthful because we recognize that we are in the very presence of God all the time. We acknowledge him in our hearts, in our thoughts, and even in our speech. God is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere present, even in our conversations. Is he happy with our words? We can be faithful with our words when we are intentional with our speech. Second and finally, We can be faithful with our words when we maintain integrity and fulfillment. We need to maintain integrity in fulfilling what we say. The issue the Jews faced was how to make sure that people fulfilled what they said that they would do. The community and the leadership wanted to hold people accountable to fulfill the obligations people made, so they made oaths. And we do the same thing now. We don't trust that people will pay their debts, so we we tie it to their credit reports or a cosigner or collateral. We don't think that people will tell the truth, so we make them swear an oath or take a lie detector test. We don't think people will keep their promises, so we draw up contracts. We don't even trust people to fulfill their obligations in public office, so we make them swear an oath. Almost every profession has to teach ethics because the world understands that society sadly cannot be trusted to fulfill their obligations and with integrity. Jesus is calling us to have integrity. He is calling us to fulfill those things we say we are going to do. I'm not trying to shame you, but how many of us have told someone we would pray for them and not done it? I will raise my hand. I don't want you to feel bad though. I'm using it as an example because we can so easily fall short of doing the things that we actually want to do, that we're actually committed to doing. It sounds nice, and it is nice to tell someone you will pray for them. You may actually intend to do so, but maybe you forget things happen. How can we have integrity in fulfilling what we said we would do? Try this. Do it. Maybe instead of saying, I'll pray for you, replace that with, can I pray with you now? And do it in the moment send a text or, or send an email so that person knows that you have prayed for them and it holds you accountable to do so. This way, you actually fulfill what you said you were going to say and that person receives the prayer that they so need and desired. And don't worry, this is not this grand dissertation. All you are doing is talking to your father on behalf of your brother or sister. So don't be embarrassed or ashamed to pray with someone on the spot in the moment. We need to be people of integrity because we don't just represent ourselves. As Christians, we represent God too. Whether we like it or not, many people make their assumptions about God based upon how God's people treat them. If we fail to fulfill our obligation, what someone might interpret, whether rightly or wrongly, is about God. We must be men and women of integrity. And if we are men and women of integrity, oaths and swears and promises are not needed. Our word on its own is enough. Married brothers and sisters, are you only faithful and committed to your marriage because you took a vow? Doesn't your faithfulness spring from your love for your spouse and your commitment to God? Because the truth is that saying a vow is just words too. Vows draw their meaning from our hearts. So Jesus says, let your heart speak with purity and integrity. Let your word alone be the vow or the promise, not some additional words. Every word carries equal weight with the goal of fulfilling it. When we maintain integrity and fulfilling what we say we will do, we build trust with other people. Trust builds from doing what you say you're going to do. Imagine the child of divorce waiting for their parent to come visit them, and that parent never shows up. And that happens continuously over time. And so over time, that child learns not to trust that parent and probably learns not to trust other people as well. Can your spouse trust you to make the changes that you said you were going to make? Children, can your parents trust you to do the things that you said you were going to do? Can your boss, can your friends trust you to be a man and woman of your word? We trust God because he fulfills his promises to us. When we are intentional with our words and we seek with integrity to fulfill what we said we would do, there's no need to add anything else to it like I swear or I promise because our word alone will suffice. Of course, we will not always get it right. Sometimes we may say the wrong thing or obligate ourselves to something we cannot fulfill. It happens. But the point is, what is the intention of your heart? Is your heart rooted in honesty or in deceit? Did you always intend to do what you said you would do or not? As much as possible, speak with intentionality and integrity. It is how we live as citizens of heaven right here on earth. It is how we demonstrate Christ's likeness We also build trust when our actions match our words. Sadly, the church has very little moral standing in society because we have not maintained integrity with our words. Our actions very seldom match our words. When the church finally speaks, usually late on a matter, no one listens or takes our words seriously. We have lost trust within the world because we proclaim love But we are some of the biggest perpetrators of hate. We proclaim that God is a just God, but we do nothing to demonstrate that justice in the world. We proclaim that we are all made in the image of God, and therefore we have inherent worth, yet we demonize people and withhold resources and opportunities from them. We proclaim that we're pro-life, yet we deny service that could help the living live, and we stand firmly behind the death penalty. How many people distrust the church? How many people distrust God because of what they see the church doing? Our words should carry weight because we bring the word of God. We are God's spokespeople. But if we have lost our integrity and therefore the trust of the people, how can we convince people that God loves them and that God is trustworthy? I'm grateful that Metro strives to make our actions make our words. We're not perfect, but we try. We say we love people with no strings attached, and that's why we try not to put any barriers when someone comes or we try to serve our community. We say we are a church for the broken, and so we share our vulnerabilities with one another, and we make and provide tools for you to become whole in Christ. We say that we're all made in the image of God, So we love one another across ethnicities and class, and we work hard to make sure that that image is never severed or tarnished in our society. But it's not enough for it just to be our church. All of us, including the larger Christian church, must maintain its integrity for the sake of ourselves and for the sake of the gospel. We show the world how intentional God is when our words are intentional. And we show the world how faithful our God is when we are faithful with our words, when we have integrity in our speech. Because God is always faithful to his words. He speaks truth and he honors his word. He told Abraham that he would give him descendants too numerous to count. And look around, here we are his descendants now. He told us, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that he would be with us. And wasn't he with us during COVID? He told us that he would never leave us nor forsake us. And so he gave us the Holy Spirit to be our ever present help in time of trouble. He told us that if we confess, our sins, that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And haven't we all received the grace and the forgiveness and the love of God? Yeah. He told us that by grace we have been saved through faith, not of our own works. And we can all attest that we have done nothing to deserve the grace of God in our lives. He told us that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And during this season of pandemic, hasn't God shown his grace and his love and his goodness, even in the midst of all that's going on? He told us that he loved us and he demonstrated to us in the most powerful way by giving us his son to die for us. Metro. Metro. In light of all that God has spoken and fulfilled in our lives, can we be men and women of intentionality and integrity? That is our response to the God who has been so intentional in our lives and who has been so faithful to us in our lives. Our commitment to God, our commitment to one another, is to be like Christ in this world, to be intentional, to be men and women of integrity, and to speak his truth in his love. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are not a man or a woman that you ever lie. God, I thank you that your promises have always been true, that you are faithful, God, to our word, to your word, God. I thank you that your steadfast love endures forever even in the midst of our sinfulness and our unfaithfulness. And so, God, I pray for my brother and my sister wherever they are. I pray, God, that you would cause us to be intentional in our conversations. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would allow us and help us and strengthen us by the power of the Holy Spirit to be men and women of integrity. I pray, God, that in our word and in our speech and in all that we do, God, that people will look at us and see you. That when they see us, God, that they would see men and women of integrity that reflect the God of integrity. I pray, God, that when they see us, that they would be so drawn to your heart living inside of us, God, that they might proclaim, what must I do to be saved? I pray, Heavenly Father, that we don't take this lightly, but that we remember that we are always your representatives, that we represent the truth and that you indeed, Father, are our truth. It is through your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. At this time, Metro, I'd like to take you through what we like to call here our next steps. Next steps are your way of responding to the message, that the message just doesn't end when we say amen. So if you would turn to your communication card, if you are looking at our, uh, the Metro app, if not, you can go to emetro.org slash sermon, excuse me, slash Sunday, and you will see our communication card there. If you find something that speaks to your heart, check it off and um, we will get back to you if necessary. Number one. I want to experience peace through a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, that is always your first response to hearing the word. It is to say that I don't know everything about God. You don't have to know everything about God. What it means is I feel you doing something in my heart and in my life, and I want to respond to that. If you check that box, we will get back to you and speak with you about what it means to be in relationship with the Jesus, with the Lord who already loves you. Number two, I will replace, I will pray for you with, can I pray for you now? This is a reminder to be intentional with our words and be men and women of integrity, to pray on the spot. Number three, I will pray and speak with someone about the challenges I have being truthful. Maybe this message spoke to you in a particular way and you know you wrestle with being truthful. Pray about it and speak with someone about it, including one of the pastors. Number four, I will be more intentional with my words. Spend some time thinking about, praying about what you say before you say it. Number five, I will reflect on God's faithfulness in my life, always, always. It is good to think about how God has been faithful to us in our lives. Number six, I will sign up for premarital classes beginning April 25th. It's not about the vows. It's about your heart and your intent and your intentionality and integrity in your marriage. So sign up for that if you are engaged or thinking about being engaged. Number seven, I will sign up for sacred space. This conversation is really gonna be about how the Black and African and Asian American communities can come together and work towards freedom and solidarity. Now, this is not just for Black people or Asian people, it's for everyone, it's a conversation that we are want to continue. So sign up for that, that is on Sunday, May 2nd at one thirty via Zoom. And number eight, I will receive virtual prayer. You can go, um, as soon as the message is over to emetro.org slash pray and receive prayer in our virtual prayer rooms. The pastors are waiting and our leaders are waiting to pray for you and with you.